It's an absolute delight to be with you. It's been a great weekend uh, with the staff team on Friday morning, with some pastors that had traveled in on Friday night, and then the conference uh, yesterday morning as well, and to be with you uh, today. And I know we've been praying, but just the awareness that we serve a living God, He's here with us, and I just want to acknowledge Him as well. So, Father... I know we've been worshiping you, we've been praying, but I just want to say we love you. You're the reason we are alive. We spoke those words, they're so emotive. You're the breath in my lungs, or you give me the breath in my lungs. You hold our lives, you give our years on the earth, you give them significance and meaning. Without you, it would all be empty and hollow. We thank you that knowing you and walking with you gives significance and substance and weight to our lives. It brings that sense of this is why I'm alive. This is why I breathe. And we worship you this morning. We acknowledge you here with us today. We recognize that we, as a community, gather around the presence of a living God. And I ask you this morning, would there be in this room, Holy Spirit, would you be the spirit of wisdom and revelation? We all want to see better, understand better, perceive the ways of your kingdom better. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the spirit of wisdom. You're the spirit of revelation. You are the spirit of understanding. And I pray that you would be that to us today. And I, in Jesus' name, command every veil, everything that stops us seeing, everything that hinders our understanding, that it would fall in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's, it's very true that the world we are in, that we walk through, that we navigate every day, the voices, the noises, even sometimes the relationships, all that we're navigating can, if we're not careful, stop us from seeing and perceiving and understanding correctly. And how many know what you see, how you think things are working, will determine the way that you make decisions? And the way you make decisions will determine where you end up in life. Because one decision at a time is how you live out your destiny. It's moment by moment, day by day, week by week, but they're made up of very small decisions, which those decisions are based on the way that you are seeing and what you are understanding. That's why we need the Holy Spirit who comes as the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge. And when we walk with the Holy Spirit who is a person, living, active, speaking person, part of the Godhead, through the cross, Jesus made it possible He said, I'm now going to go to my Father. 
and I will send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now he comes and he helps us to see better, understand better. And when our perspective is restored, because we live in a society that will, just because it's fallen, uh, I'm not picking on your society, every society, we're in a fallen world, and so when we live there, we pick up the dirt of the world. It rubs off. Uh, our vision gets skewed. Our understanding gets slightly bent. And so as we walk with the Holy Spirit, as we open up the Scriptures, as we meet in community, the Lord restores our perspective, our vision, our understanding. And now we have the potential then to make right decisions, choices. Our value system gets reoriented. You understand what I'm saying? I know I've just jumped straight into the deep end with that. But it's important for us to understand that. Uh, otherwise, we start living in little worlds we create for ourselves that we think are really important, whether they're ministry worlds, church worlds, business worlds, socially what we're doing. You don't want to wake up in 10 or 15 years' time and realize you're actually in the wrong world. <laughs> I'm like, no, Holy Spirit, be the spirit of wisdom now. One of the prayers we pray, and I think I've said this to you before, is uh, we, we stole this from somebody else, but it's a good prayer. Um, shock me now, don't shock me then. In other words, wake me up now, startle me now. I don't want to be startled in eternity and say, I didn't know. I was living the American dream, not the kingdom dream. I was living an American reality and not a kingdom reality. How many know America, Britain, Germany, pick your nation. They're all fading nations. Nations rise, nations fall. You look at the history, it's exactly what happens. But the kingdom we belong to, it's eternal. It's unshakable. Everything else will be shaken and will fall. But the kingdom we belong to is an unshakable kingdom. And our roots and our citizenship is in that kingdom. When people ask me, because they think I'm slightly confused, they say, are you English? Are you British? Are you Indian? Because I'm a full-blooded North Indian, Punjabi Indian. But I've been born and raised in the UK. My response is normally, I'm all of those things, but my primary identity is I belong to the kingdom of God. That's who I am. I'm not first British, English, never going to be English. I'm be English. I'm British, Indian, but actually more important than that identity is the identity of being a child of God in the kingdom of God. And that kingdom has a story. That kingdom has a dream. You've heard of the American dream. Do you know the kingdom dream? Some of us are more sold out for the natural. And I want to invite you today as a community into a kingdom dream. A dream that our king has. We have a king. We don't have a president. We don't have a prime minister. 
We are not a democracy. We are a theocracy. We have a God who rules over us. A loving, compassionate, and yet a righteous God. And He has a dream He is unfolding on the earth. Our short time on the earth plays into His big kingdom dream. And I believe our privilege for all of us is to discover that dream and to become a part of what He is doing. If you start living towards that kingdom dream, everything starts taking on the significance and the meaning and the value than it should. I don't want to live a hollow life. Anyone else? It really doesn't matter what you drive. It really doesn't matter where you live. It does matter whose you are and how you give yourself to what He is doing. Our people, followers of Christ people, our people, have always been known as pilgrims. Pilgrims passing through. Wow. But today's Christians want to set up home forever. It's like if they heard Jesus is coming back, they're like, could you just wait a month? I've got a holiday planned. They have no reality of eternity. They have no understanding of the beauty of heaven. They've not been enraptured by the beauty of Jesus. They've not realized that Jesus came to take us to the Father. And they've not experienced the Father's love. They're living in a natural dream, a natural reality. Even in ministry, I find this. People are living a ministry dream instead of a heavenly dream, a kingdom dream. And the Lord wants to wake us up today. Saying, come up here. And, and he's not angry. Um, if I stand a bit intense, I'm not angry. I'm just, uh, I, there's, it's, it's, it's interesting. I feel all morning there's something stirring inside of me. And Pastor Lawrence just gave us that word about authority. Early hours of this morning, as Esther and I were praying, I said to Esther, I said, I feel like the Lord is saying, you've been walking in humility, and now I want to wed that humility with authority. So we said that privately this morning. And the Lord's saying, you're going to start walking in greater dimensions of kingdom authority. So that was a confirmation. We never stop walking in humility. Why? Because it's the greatest, if it's a garment you wear, it's the greatest cloak, uh, significance of heaven. Because Jesus himself clothed himself in humility. So none of us are going to go beyond that. <laughs> We clothe ourselves in humility, but when we walk in humility, true kingdom authority is released. And I believe that authority is available to every child of God. In, in our theology, Protestant theology, over the last 500 years, one of the things that we rediscovered was the priesthood of all believers. Have you heard that phrase? The priesthood of all believers. And, and what we mean by that is, Jesus is our mediator. We can get to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And now we are a kingdom. The Bible tells us a kingdom of priests to God. 
we come to him and we now mediate in some way and we lead people to Christ. And we don't have to go through a, a physical priest, a man in a temple. You go through Christ. The way has been made open. And so you are a kingdom person in a kingdom story with a father who has a kingdom dream and he's inviting us into that dream today. I, th I think I have a, a, a simple word and um, that's quite easy for me because I'm a simple person, um, which I like being a simple person. I'm not very complicated, I don't think. My wife might tell you differently, I don't know. Um, I'm going to give you my title in a minute. But in, in prelude to that title, let me kind of build it up a little bit uh, so that you get expectant. Uh, I believe this is what I'm about to talk about, the very thing that the kingdom dream is about. So the subject I'm about to introduce and invite you into is what the Father is unfolding on the earth. Uh, if you were here yesterday morning, I spoke a little about the coming reformation. By that, we just simply mean the shape of things are changing. We are being reformed. And pretty much every 500 years, for thousands of years, the world out there goes through a reformation and the church goes through a reformation. I didn't do that study myself. An American professor did that back in the 90s. Dr. Phyllis Tickle did a bit of history research and realized that every 500 years, the world goes through major change and so does the church. It's kind of marries together and there's a reforming of society and a reshaping of the church. We are in the beginnings, maybe five, ten years, twenty years, into a reformation. And many times they take up to like fifty to seventy years to fully kind of shift around. And I believe that the reforming that's happening within the church, the shape of things is changing. And what's going to emerge is what I am going to just present to you right now. It's not my idea. It's a Bible idea. It's a Jesus idea. It's a kingdom idea. And so getting our hearts and our heads around this is really important. If I was going to, I, I, I'm not always good with titles, so I've got three. And whichever one works for you, you can take that one. Uh, you so, so I, I try to build that up. This is really important. This is what the Reformation is for. This is the kingdom dream. And here's my first title, uh, Apostolic Community. Was that like, oh, that kind of landed like a lead balloon. Um, let, me, let me give you a different title. How about Kingdom Community? Or I'll give you a third one, which would just simply be the true nature of the church being restored to us. There is a, you might say, well, that sounds like not very exciting, and you're trying to tell me that's what God's doing? He's birthing kingdom community, an apostolic family. I don't like the word apostolic, you might say. Uh, apostles are fathers. They, they come as servants. They help raise family, both in the world around us and in the church. Uh, fathers have been absent. 
And yet, uh, at the end of the Old Testament, the prophecy is he's going to restore. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers back to children and the hearts of children back to fathers. The dream is echoed there already. You go to Genesis in the garden, in the call of the day, Adam and Eve have sinned, and they're trying to hide, and the father's walking. The father himself is walking in the garden. The Eden dream at the beginning is actually the dream at the end. It's a relational God bringing his people into a very intimate relationship with him and helping them to discover what it is to be kingdom community, to discover the true nature of the church. I, I've been kind of, I have a, we'll pause that thought for a second and just give you a different thought. I, I, I want signs and wonders in my life. I see some things. I'd love to see the dead raised. I, I'd love a higher percentage of people healed that I pray for. Like 20% is okay, 25, 30% is okay. It's better than zero. But I'd love 80, 85, 90. I'd love more of his power in my life. I'd like more authority. I, I would like it to be that when I walk in somewhere and I begin to talk, that people feel the presence of God. So I contend for those things. I want them. I want our churches to have more power. And here's what I'm beginning to realize literally in the last two weeks. So this is fresh to me, and I'm just living in it. What we're longing for in authority, in power, in fruit, in churches reproducing and becoming who they should be, is actually all in the seed of the true nature of the church. If the church becomes the community God wants it to be, it will have the authority it is supposed to have. Signs and wonders will be restored. It's actually in that community we then become a dwelling place for God. And when we become a dwelling place for God, it's at that time that that authority comes into the community. I don't think it was ever meant to be that just one or two superstars carry that authority and power. The Lord wants to fill his bride, the church, with his power. He invites them into a relationship with himself. And, you know, Jesus saying, and then me and my father will come and we will make our home with you. It's a, so... I want authority, I want signs and wonders, I want greater power, I want churches that are reproducing and growing, and we're in the beginning of it. We are moving, the Reformation, we are moving from organizational structures to relational structures. We are going to move away from programs to presence. It's going to be this movement of just, we don't just organize everything, we relationally, it's a wineskin made up of people and the power of God in an individual connected to another individual connected to another one is the wineskin that the Spirit then fills. He doesn't fill programs. He doesn't come to fill bricks and mortar. He fills a living, breathing organism called the church of the living God. Our problem has been we've been institutionalized. We go somewhere for church. 
we want somebody to tell me something and that will help me through the next seven days. We want them to lead us in worship and I hope it's so-and-so leading today because I like it when they lead because I feel good about myself. And it's become a culture where this institution, you come in, we care for you, you leave, come back next week, don't forget to put money in the bucket. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to restore my true bride. They are carriers of my presence. They are not attenders at an event. They are actually salt and light, aliens and strangers, Hebrews calls us. In other words, a different value system, a different way of thinking, people in whom the divine God has taken up residence, and now you release them across Oklahoma City, anything is liable to happen. And our joining together is where the real power, real authority, and the dwelling place of God becomes tangible. We privatized our faith. It's, it's like I have my quiet time. I read my Bible. I go to church and I want my faith encouraged. And I, I'm beginning to realize there is something really powerful about praying with these people, reading the Bible in community, in, in realizing as I confess my sin to another, there is grace from the other to cover me, strengthen me, and to stand with me. So powerful to live that way. But in a, in a Western Christian mindset, that's like, you're asking a whole lot there. You want me to be vulnerable, you want to make myself known to other people, I've got to share my life with others. This is what we do. For 2,000 years, Christians have shared life with one another. And God becomes, they become a dwelling place for God. And then that life now starts to burst out into the world around them. I was thinking about what's happened during COVID. I was in worship just reflecting how many people will comment like, oh, don't want to come in today, I'll just watch it online. And I'm grateful that we can watch online. There are times that we can't get in and we'll be able to see what's happening in here. I'm going to watch our service online later on, see what happened this morning. So I'm not against online. But then my thoughts went towards the persecuted church in various parts of the world today who would give anything to gather with three or four or five others, walk any distance, risk imprisonment, because there's something about that community that is worth the sacrifice and the risk to have that hour or two or three to open up the scriptures, to share the story of God, to break bread together, to pray together. It becomes powerful to do. And I thought, what a contrast between the Western world, we'll jump online, it's easier, don't have to change my clothes, I can eat my breakfast while I'm watching, and some in the persecuted church that would risk their lives to be able to gather with other Christ followers. And I'm saying, Lord, would you help us to recapture the value of community, the beauty of it, the power that's transmitted 
I don't know what to do with what I'm about to say to you right now. And we, we have a building that's probably very similar to your size. It was full today. So I understand the need for a platform. I understand the need for sound systems. Otherwise, you wouldn't hear me. And yet, I'm, I'm reflecting and I'm thinking, Lord, what would it look like if we just got together and we're all on level ground and we're all just... Why don't you share a word? Why don't you lead us in a song? I know you can't do that with a few hundred people, but what if 15 people got together and did that? And they weren't following a program, they were following the presence of Jesus. And they were looking for Jesus in each other. It's the beauty of community. I know we'll always have large gatherings. They had them in the book of Acts. They met in Solomon's colonnade, a few thousand of them. And how many know when you've got a few thousand, not everybody can share a song and share a word. And those moments were led by the apostles, but then they met home to home. And they experienced that sense of joining and community and life flowing through those people. So it's an invitation today to rediscover what our people have always lived with. But they lived with it for a few decades in the book of Acts, and then it started to slip away. And I think over the centuries, the Lord has been restoring this to his church. So Father, I even pause there for a moment, and I just ask you, would you take Holy Spirit, would you take the revelation of the beauty of the body of Christ and would you embed it into our thinking, into our feelings? Would you help us to feel about you and about each other what you feel in Jesus' name? Amen. I've got about 10, 12 minutes, so uh, just so you know, I'm aware of time. So thinking he's just going on there, and does he know what time it is? And, we... and I'm, I'm going to make a few statements. I, I had intended to preach the, the whole session from my notes, and I haven't done that, so that's your fault, really, because you're so open, you're drawing <laughs> revelation, and uh, so um, I, let me just make maybe four or five statements and then we're going to just come into a place of worship. Esther's going to come up as well, and she's going to share uh, something with us as the Lord's laid that on her heart. So these just give you a bit of Bible for what I've been sharing. So my first statement is, we belong to a relational kingdom. How did Jesus start his ministry? Come, follow me. That sounds deeply relational. He didn't say, come join an organization, come to a building. He said, come follow me. Isn't that beautiful? Or if you read in John's gospel, John 1, 35 to 39, two of John the Baptist's disciples realize he's the Messiah. They start following. Jesus turns back and says, what do you want? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? He says, come, I'll show you. And they spent the whole day with him. That sounds deeply relational to me. It's a, come be with me, sit with me, eat with me, travel with me. 
It's this kind of heart connection, heart joining. And then I've quoted this one, John 17, verse 3. If somebody said to you, what's eternal life? I'm not sure what your answer would be. But here's Jesus' answer to what is eternal life. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ. Wow. Eternal life, he says. He never mentioned pray a prayer. He didn't say attend a building. He didn't even say give some money. He said eternal life is knowing God. Knowing his son, Jesus, who is also God. Knowing and walking with the Holy Spirit, you could say. This, to me, sounds like our kingdom is a relational kingdom. I'm not sure how we made it institutional how we made it organizational. When it was deeply relational from the beginning, we drifted from that. In the Passion Translation, that same verse from John 17, 3, eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ whom you have sent. My second statement would be, Jesus brought us revelation of God as Father. They knew Him as God. Maybe they knew Him as God Almighty. They had all the Jehovah names for God. Jehovah Shalom, He's our peace. Jehovah Jireh, He's our provider. Jehovah Nissi, He's the banner over me. Jehovah Magan, He's our shield. And we could go on and on. They had all these revelations of the things that God would do. And Jesus shows up in the Gospels after a 400-year silence between the Old Testament and New Testament, and he keeps referring to God as Father. It messes with people's thinking. You know, who are you to call him Father? It's sacrilegious. It's rude. We should stone you for calling him Father. If you read the Gospels, that's exactly what was happening. And yet Jesus, again and again, introduced people not to God, but to Father. And he referred to himself as a son. It's an interesting thought. A friend of mine, John Alley, says this. He said, God is a son, and God is also a father. I, I knew that. Jesus is the son of God. I knew that he is Father, but just having that statement made me stop and think. He's helping us to think relationally. He's inviting us into a relational kingdom, deeply relational kingdom. In fact, Jesus, a good son, would say, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. I'm in relationship. I am submitted Whatever he says I can say, I will say. Whatever he says I can do, I will do. And he would also say words like in John 5, he says the son loves the father, father loves the son. And he goes on about it for a while, this deep, intimate relationship between the two. I can't remember where I read this. I only read it a couple of days ago in one of my readings that as Jesus was speaking, I think it's in John's gospel, and he, he says, Father, glorify uh, your name, and, the, and a voice comes out of heaven and says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. Man, like, 
like an audible voice. And some said it thundered and some said it was lightning. Some said it was an angel. And Jesus said, that was for your benefit, not mine. And what I hear in that is, I know he loves me. I know he's got me. I didn't need an audible voice to tell me that. I already knew it. He gave you that for your benefit. And I'm like, what intimacy between the Father and the Son? What security in the Son that I am loved? Don't have to prove that love. So we belong to a relational kingdom. Jesus brings a revelation of Father. Even when he's asked, how do we pray, Matthew 6? This then is how you ought to pray. Our Father. You come to Father. It's deeply relational. I know we've, many of us have had fathers that may not have been good fathers. Our Heavenly Father is a good Father. He really is. He's trustworthy. Take the best example of a father on the earth, times it by about a million, and you may get somewhere close to the goodness of the father that we serve. Don't look at heavenly father through the lens of an abusive father or a neglectful father. That's broken humanity at work. And the Lord redeems those things. But he is not abusive. He's not neglectful. He is watchful caring, tender. In fact, the, the, the descriptions in Scripture used of him as a father, but also as a mother, gathers a chick under her wings, so I will gather you under my wings. He's caring and compassionate. That's the father we belong to. Third statement that I want to make. Jesus teaches us to love the father and to love one another. Matthew 22, the, one of the teachers of the law around about verse 36, asks Jesus, what's the greatest command? In other words, if I'm going to focus on one thing, what should I focus on? What's the greatest thing? And Jesus simply says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Loving God, loving Father is the greatest thing. He could have said, don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Be holy. Keep all the rules in the temple. He says, let me tell you, in the kingdom we belong to, the greatest thing you can do is be in a love relationship with Father. And he invites us in. And he says, and the second command is just like it. Love your neighbor. Love those around you like you love yourself. What does that tell me? This is a relational kingdom. And I am commanded to love God. And to love you. Fourthly, and I could give you more. I'll give you, before I get to the fourth one, just under the third one, just one more. In John 13, Jesus, the chief apostle, takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, picks up a wash basin, and washes his disciples' feet. Wow. Isn't that crazy? The eternal word of God, the one who raised the dead, the one who created all things, Colossians 1 tells us, all things are created by him, for him, and they're, they're held together by his word. He humbles himself, washes dirt and muck off people's feet, and then he gets up and he says, now that I, your Lord and Savior, have done this for you, you apostles, I want you to live this way. This is what true fathers do. This is true community. You serve those in need. You don't lord it over them. 
And he says, a new command I give you today. This is John 13. Love one another as I have loved you. And by this love will the whole world know that you are my disciples. True community, true love, this is how they're going to know. Isn't that powerful? I thought it was. I mean, I put myself in that picture. Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, the begotten Son of God, He existed before He was born. He was with the Father. He gets down on His hands and knees, takes off His outer garment, pulls up a bowl close, and disciples that have walked in, walked in dirty streets in Jerusalem where animals have walked, got dung on their feet, he takes off their sandals and he begins washing all of that off each one of their feet. If I had three and a half years of ministry, I might tell them to do that. I haven't got time to show you. I probably wouldn't even tell you to do it. But he says, now, I'm your Lord, I'm your rabbi, you call me that, rightly so. Now, if I am demonstrating true leadership, true fatherhood, true sonship, I want you to live this way. This is why this institutional thing is going to change. Because the spirit of Jesus is coming in. The spirit of sonship, fatherhood, relationship. We're going to get to know one another and serve one another. And we've got to do what he did. My, ne my next statement, and I'm nearly done. Um, John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. The whole chapter is one prayer. And he says in John 17, verses 20 to 23, my prayer is not just for my disciples, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Verse 21, that all of them may be one Father as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I would say read that about 20 times later today. Chew on it. He says, Father, just as we enjoy this phenomenal oneness, unity, and love, can we invite all of these into that relationship? Come and join our unity. Come and join our love. It's a phenomenal thing to say. The, there's a Greek word for it. I can't remember. Perichorsis or something like that. It's the holy dance of the Trinity. They always in the right step, always complementing, always in oneness together. And he's saying, Father, I'm praying, not just for my disciples, but for everybody who's going to believe because of their message. I want to invite them into that unity. I want to invite them into that oneness. I want them to know that oneness so that they're going to be in us, we're going to be in them. This is God making his home with us. How many know that starts to happen? The authority comes, the power comes, and then the world will know that there is a God. As the colors mix, the social classes mix, and there's no difference. It's the body of Christ becoming one. I believe Jesus' prayer will be answered. 
I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and I'm going to close this as, as we do that. Go back into just focusing on him and asking him to help us. You might say, well, Steve, where do we land this? What do we do? I, 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 w- I would say you need to kind of chew on the revelation that you're getting today. Ask the Lord, would you make this clear? Would you teach me what it is to be community? Would you help me to see your church like you see it? In Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, and I'll close with this. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, this is the Apostle Paul in chains, writing to the church at Ephesus, as a prisoner for the Lord. I, I honestly, when I read some of Paul's writings, I did it this morning, reading 2 Timothy chapter 1, I read the, the preface in like, tells you a little bit about the book, and it was the last book he wrote, and he was going to be beheaded after this. And I read that, and he's spending his life saying, Timothy, I'm praying for you. I love you. I'd love to see you, and my joy would be complete. And I'm saying, oh, here he is at the end of his life. No 401k. No building, no house, no possessions. He's about to be beheaded. And his heart burns for the community. His heart burns for a son called Timothy. And I just want somewhere to attend. And I hope they finish in time so I get lunch. May the Lord redeem us from institutional, consumerized Christianity. And this is what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Would you stand with me? And this is what he says. So live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love and making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why don't we ask the Lord to do that for us? Lord, would you help us? You can pray this. Would you help us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received you can whisper it or just be audible if you want to say this verse 2 would you help me to be completely humble gentle patient would you help me to bear with the body in love and Lord I choose to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So Father, I pray, just as we have a moment of worship, I pray over this destiny family, those who are in the building, those who are in other locations, I ask that you would begin to birth in them the nature of a true apostolic community. Genuine love, a genuine sharing of life, We break every plan of the enemy to bring accusation and division, idolatry of self, my ministry, my gifting. I pray that we would see the beauty of the body of Christ today. 
And I, in the name of Jesus, just place that grace on you to be an apostolic, a kingdom community. The dream in the heart of the Father in the Garden of Eden, the dream in the heart of the Father when He sent His Son to reconcile humans back to Himself, the dream in the heart of Jesus in John 17, may they be one as we are one. Father, deliver us from wanting to pursue our thing and help us to see what you're doing in the community. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship for just a moment. Turn towards him and then Esther's going to bring us a, a, a kind of a prophetic sense of some of the things that God's put on her heart. Amen.